Welcome to Tackless Radio. music coming in here huh well if you love that song just as much as i did then go ahead and look up a south korean dj by the name of peggy go and the name of the song is it makes you forget and i stumbled across this song because i was like following a couple choreographers and some people in the ballroom scene and someone was giving a Vogue class and this was the song in the background. And I was like, Oh, that song is, that song is awesome. Like I just immediately fell in love with the song. And then I went to go listen to some more music of Peggy's and I really appreciate a lot of her like deep house dance electric songs and vibes and music Uh, Especially because being from Chicago, I am a house head or just essentially grew up around house, have appreciation for it, who is a woman of color just doing the damn thing. And I was just like, you know what? I want my listeners to hear a little something different, something that maybe you wouldn't normally listen to or come across or expect. So go check it out. And welcome back to another episode of Tackless Radio. And it is I, your host, creator, mama, papa, and rich auntie, B-Bad. And this week, you get a special episode because I'm interviewing three of my best friends since high school, Brittany, Taryn, and Erica, on their experiences of motherhood today on this episode titled Modern Motherhood. So go ahead and check it out. Hello, hello, Tackies, and welcome back to another episode of Tackless Radio. And of course, it is I Be Bad, but I am not here by myself. I'm actually here with three fantastic, amazing Black mommies, because this episode is going to be talking about modern motherhood and the Black community of today. And I have the blessing of being with three of my childhood friends who are all mommies, 
in their own different special ways and actually are mommies in different variations of the stages. We have a preteen mommy, we have a newborn mommy, and we have a mommy going through the trifecta of twos. So... <laughs> I am so excited to be opening up this conversation with all of you all because motherhood just looks so different from what our mothers have gone through, what our grandmothers have gone through. And I'm pretty sure as you all have started your own motherhood journeys, you all are even going through different things that you're saying to yourself. I'm going to go through my motherhood journey differently than what my mother has done, which is definitely going to impact your children on how they become parents if they choose to be. So let's get into who we have here. Uh, Miss Linton, would you like to go first and introduce yourself? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. I love you so much. Um, and all of the ladies, right? We all friends. Um, my name is Erica Linton. I am a college and career counselor at a high school on the west side of Chicago. Um, I also blog um, for some publications like 2190, Blavity, Medium.com, and Walker's Legacy. Uh, and I have the awesome opportunity to uh, serve, I feel like, a lifelong purpose um, as a mom to my amazing two-year-old uh, who I post daily. So that is me. <laughs> yes. Those cute, cute little cheeks. And uh, Miss Bentley, who is giving us a special appearance by um, her cuteness, her little, little one. Uh, would you like to tell the people who you are? Yes, of course. Hi, guys. My name is Taryn. I am a mom to baby B. Um, I'm a mental health therapist by trade. I do school-based therapy. Um, and I am in Ohio, if anybody's wondering, Akron City of LeBron James. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I look, and I'm just letting you all know now that we are talking about modern motherhood. So if you hear children in the background, just know that comes with the territory. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, my boob. Hello, Britt. <laughs> Hello, B, my boob. I am Brittany K. Boyer. I have been lifelong, well, teenage friends with B. Gail and Erica and Tear Bear. Um, I am currently working in healthcare with Anthem Healthcare. And I've also this year started my business for, yes, beauty business, microblading, microshading, and eyelash extensions. And currently in the process of relocating from Virginia to Las Vegas. So that will be coming in February, March time. Yes. And I am the mother to the infamous preteen if you know you know <laughs> <laughs> but we're all like Miguel said at different stages and mine is whew, it's an interesting one <laughs> yes it is a very very interesting one so I just want to say thank you so much for all of you all making the time because I know as mommies you all don't have much of that but I appreciate you all making the time to talk to not only I, but my listeners and everyone else about what it really means to be a mother in 2021 and more specifically a black mother in 2021. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So the first question I want to ask you all is just to set the stage here and for you all to kind of describe to me your relationship with your parents, your relationship um, with your parents as you were growing up, because we understand that we're millennials. And millennials have a different relationship with 
baby boomers and with Gen X, and they did things a little differently than us. So just to kind of set the stage, and I'm going to start with you, Erica, because I know your mother very well. <laughs> I would love to for you all to kind of just set the stage in terms of how you were raised and the type of relationship you all have with your mother or with your parents. Yeah. So I grew up in a saved and sanctified household. It's Jesus only. Ain't no other way but that way. Um, and so my parents, it's so interesting because my mom had me when she was 26. And so growing up, I didn't feel like I had a young mom. Like that's classified as young. And so I'm like, no, nah, my mama, I feel like she's been 40 my whole life. <laughs> I'm like, mm. um, but what's interesting is um, my parents, like my mom and dad really wanted to give us or gift us, if I would say, with um, a different experience than what they had. My mom grew up in a very strict and it's, and she doesn't make any apologies for it. She loved how she grew up, um, couldn't wear pants, only wore skirts. And she knew that she wanted something different to expose her children to. So although she didn't necessarily always understand my sister and I, by why we longed for the things that we longed for, I want to say that like growing up, uh, why I love the arts is because my mom, she put that. It's not that she necessarily danced or was an artist. She just really loved it. And so I got that from her. Um, musically, my dad's side of the family kind of imparted that um, into us. I would say that my best relationship with them is right now. Seeing them as grandparents, because I didn't always understand them. Seeing them yeah. as people really understanding like, okay, you really are doing the best that you can. <laughs> You really are taking little and trying to stretch it out and really do what it is that you need to do. So being a parent has made me understand like, dang, even how I parent and how I choose to try to co-parent. It's just like, I want to know when the story is told from my perspective yeah. that I did everything that I was you know, supposed to do in the best interest of my kids. So I'm always in a reflective state. Because I say like my parents are my co-parent because I don't get any help from the other other than financial. So it's made me as an adult, as a mom, appreciate them more and their sacrifice in this stage. But yeah, no, nah, it was Jesus only growing up. We didn't do parties. <laughs> we didn't do. I think the only reason why she let me go to homecoming senior year is because I was with Brittany Gale and she knew, and she knew mama and papa Gale. So you stayed up at that school, listen, girl. Oh, okay. Stayed at Y'all that school. at her house. Oh, okay. I know where it's at. All right. So yeah, that was that was that. Taryn, how was your relationship with your beautiful parents growing up? And I love your parents, by the way. <laughs> I love them too. So um, my relationship with my mom is really great. She's very open. Always been willing to listen. I remember growing up, people used to say like, "Oh yeah, I'm getting spankings." I'm like, "Oh yeah, my mom is giving lectures." Like every time she's like, "You need to come to my room. Like we need to talk." So, and my mom, it was opposite of what my grandma did with her. My mom always felt like she was the uh oh, child, and she was, I think, 15 years younger than her last sibling. She was like, My mom hated me growing up. Like, she never talked to me. So, my mom vowed to be different with us. Uh, so, that definitely had panned out. And my dad, 
Lord, I don't know if it's because we too similar or what, but from time to time, we definitely bump heads. And you know, we love our Zodiac. So I blame it on him being a Cancer and me being a Leo. Like we just not compatible. But other <laughs> not than <at> that, all. <laughs> my dad is very supportive. And the thing about him is that he'll give his last to us, like to us girls, it's all girls. And um, so I love him for that. But I just know like only could deal with him a little bit amount of time other than that. I'm tapped out. And Britt, how was it growing up as baby Britt? It was different. I had very different experiences from you guys. And I think we touched on that like long time ago when we were in high school and stuff. Um, It just really wasn't good um, as far as like having that closeness or being able to confide in. That's why like Kanisha's mom was that for me and Mm -hmm. Kat's mom was you know, that for me so that I could have people to talk to and stuff like that. Cause I didn't have that. A lot of stuff I had to learn on my own. I don't know really the reason behind it, but it definitely did affect the relationship. And it's so funny because my life, like the time span of Noah and everything is ex in the relationship with my son's father and my mother and my father is parallel Mm. like I had my son at 20 just two or three months away from being 21 same with my mom and the relationship with my biological father was terrible to the point that I didn't even know that my stepdad wasn't my biological father until I was 10 years old Mm. and the relationship with my son's um, father it's not great but you can see how like Erica said, seeing the differences in those, you know, relationships, you kind of want to make sure you do everything you can for when your part of the story is told that you did everything you could to make sure that person had the opportunity. So no one could say, well, I couldn't do my part because you didn't let me. So it's just, it was, yeah, it was very different, but it made me stronger even though right. I know that's kind of like a stigma as a black woman, you shouldn't have to always be strong, but it definitely made me stronger and it definitely affected the way I parent Noah. Uh, we have honest conversations. We have real conversations. Um, like if I'm like mentally or emotionally not doing well, I'll have that conversation because it'll, when we're not okay, you know, it can affect the way we parent and the way we feel. And I know our mothers, we didn't really think about that because we're kids, but I chalk a lot of the stuff I went through up to my mom just wasn't okay. And she didn't know how to articulate it to me as a kid. So, but luckily I have a very understanding child who can comprehend things. He has a very high emotional intelligence, so I can share that and he'll be okay. And what I so appreciate about every single one of you all's journey into motherhood is that you all's upbringing is all different. We all have a different background of how we were raised and it does set the stage for the type of mothers it sounds like you all want to be as you all move forward. So thank you so much for setting the stage of just your experience kind of coming through parenthood and now that you're in it where you stand. But with where you stand, I know that you all have heard so many of the Black mother stereotypes, Black mothers who are married, Black mothers who are single. And it's an, it's an unfortunate stereotype 
that I hear so many people perpetuate about single Black mothers. So before we even open up the conversation about modern motherhood, I would really want for you all to give me your perspective on what you've heard as mothers, as some single mothers, as mothers who are married, just as Black mothers overall, what are the stereotypes? What are the messaging? What is the media showing about Black motherhood right now? Okay. So I don't really watch current TV. Fair. So everything that I choose to digest is 90s TV. Yes. It's just how you set the tone for Black excellence. And I don't make any apologies for that. Um, I say that because everything I pull from, I, I won't say like, I mean, I love Felicia Rashad. I love Felicia Rashad, but she's not my GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Yes. As other black parents, um, maybe our parents or just have that model. Um, that wasn't the case for me. So as I've been watching like Robert Childs' Parenthood on HBO Max, for me, if I'm being completely honest, my GOAT was Vivica Fox and Soul Food. Okay. I love the relationship that she had with her son. Very honest. Yes. Very. And I was just like, I remember when I met her, I was like, when I was growing up, I wanted you to be my mom. They <laughs> 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 were like, oh my God, come here. But that movie was like so instrumental because I was that kid like him. I was always in tune. Mm-hmm. But like what was happening with my family and never like me and my sister always talk about how like we never put too much on our parents because we could feel like we try not to be hard kids. Like I cut up, but <laughs> I try not to be like bad. Like I had a little attitude problems, but I say all that to say, um, I can just pick up from social media, like the characters, I could take the girl Condola from Insecure. Yeah. And I would say that that is what you um, see in modern day, but I'll even take it a step further and just put y'all here. I'm screaming. Um, <laughs> uh, musically, right? Let's take Summer Walker's whole album. It's about, yeah. you know, we got her, we got Kaylani, we got, I mean, you got your pick, just kind of every type of thing is kind of glory. I won't say glorifying, but giving that perspective their experience and just emptying that out um, through their work of art. Yeah. So when I think about the stereotype of black moms, it's kind of hard. <laughs> okay, baby B, you want to talk too. Um, <laughs> but I think just from what I'm seeing, and it definitely just depends on the social economic status. I'm, I'm noticing mm. just a lot of times when moms are stretched and working two jobs, trying to like live above that poverty line the, to the point where they don't receive benefits and some who do, they're so busy maintaining like basic necessities, food, water, um, housing, that sometimes it's a hands-off approach to yeah. parenthood and no fault to their own, but yeah, that's what I'm kind of noticing definitely. So um, just depending on what people's income kind of impacts their parenting. That's a very, very good point. Um, this concept of gentle parenting has started to really come up and come through, which is very interesting because you would think that d- gentle parenting is basically n- the bare minimum of parenting, which is I don't beat my child and I don't, emotionally and verbally 
abuse my child. So that should be the bare minimum of how you raise your child, but that's being labeled as gentle parenting. But to your point here, you can only be a gentle parent if you, and I'm thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, have every other need met. And being a single mother, especially being a black single mother, you are consistently trying to get those needs met. And they just, for some reason, never are. So you're stretched beyond all means. You don't have the resources. You don't have the support. With On top of that, the monarch of you being a strong black woman is just slapped on your head and you're just told to get, get it done. Despite yeah, anything that you're going through, right, you're just supposed to get it done. Britt, I would love your opinion on this. Lord, I feel like we're in church because that was a whole word. Okay, like that touched my whole soul. I feel like it touched Erica's soul too. (laughs) Because that whole single mom thing, you really have to be okay. It's really no days off. Even if you have the amazing grandparents, which by the way, my parents, they're great grandparents to my son. And I'm really appreciative of that. But it's still, it's like, you tired? Why are you tired? you should be fine. Like, oh, you're working. Okay. Well, let's deal. Come on, make sure we cook for the whole house. Let's get it together. Then you got to clean up. It's just hard to have you time, hard to feed into yourself. But to touch on that, what you said about the imagery of the single mom, it can go either way. I've seen it to where for instance, me personally, I was dating somebody and they were a bit a little younger than me, but because I had Noah, they put this stigma on me of, oh, she's dating him because his future is bright and she wants to get married and it's a good look for her and things of that nature. And I'm like, hold up, because at the time I didn't even want to get married like ever, period. And so they were feeding this into the this person that I was dating mine and it became a thing in our marriage because he just really wanted to get married and take care of me when I, if you know me, you know I'm the type that wants to take care of herself. So yes, and that's in a lot of people's minds that when you have a child and when you're of a certain age, you want to get married. I want whatever's supposed to come to me to come to me. And if marriage is not it, then I'm fine with that also. I don't have that pressure. And, and just to, to piggyback on that, I know that my taste is triple finicky mm-hmm. now that I have a little one. Because, mm-hmm. like, I was picky before. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, when I, at, being a mom, I really feel like, dang, if God didn't gift me with nothing else, he thought enough about me to really give me this gift of carrying this person and for whatever reason thought that I could introduce him to a way of life that only could come through me mm-hmm. and so I am so picky when it comes to what cousins he hanging out with what people are saying, mm-hmm. you know saying? like it, even with the gentle parenting like I gotta say something to him 10 times before I tap him because it's just like now you heard what I said so now we're breathing I'd be like breathe breathe Right. And it's a lot of, you know, in trying to, and I and I do credit my parents because like you said, Britt, like they are great grandparents. Mm-hmm. And so watching them often tell my mom and dad, I'm like, who, who, who y'all? <laughs> I'm not whoopings. Like, could I get some of that? Like, where right. is this gentle parenting? But also understanding that they too want to correct some things mm-hmm. that they weren't because they were stressed mm-hmm. trying to put meals and 
raise us in the house and not raise us like some of our other cousins was raised. Mm-hmm. And so being able to be allotted the time to do it. And so when it comes to dating, because I know that I don't even do that right now, um, I'm super finicky on what I even entertain. Because it's like, you're not even who I want my child to even be mentored by. It ain't got nothing to do with being no daddy. He can't yeah. come to you for advice. Yeah. So it's that. So yes, to your point, like they do this thing like, oh, she's dating because, because this happens to some of my other cousins too, who are single parents and people automatically be like, you know, slap that stigma of, oh, she's dating for this. Because I know that so many people in this social media space and the single modern dating space look at single black mothers as damaged goods and immediately look at them and their dating preferences. Oh, like she's looking for a get out of jail card. Like she looks at her little one as a mistake. She's looking for someone she can date and take care of her and her quote unquote mistake and responsibility where you all are basically giving us the perspective of a single black mother, which is to say, Damn if you do and damn if you don't, my little one and I will always be good. I don't need nobody to come into this situation part, for me for me to take care of my son. I take care of my son. If I want you here, that's because I want you here, not because I need you here. And I think what we unfortunately don't hear enough is the single black mother's perspective on dating is that she has choice. She's not damaged goods. No one doesn't want her because she has a child. No one doesn't want her because she has all these additional responsibilities. She is just as desirable. She has a lot of people knocking on her doors. So many niggas sliding her DMs still. So yes, but I would love to switch the perspective because we have a lovely uh, married woman on the line. And I honestly, Taryn, would love for you to just share your story about how you and your hubby decided to enter into the space of parenthood. Or was it kind of like, you know, two te- too many tequilas one night and you like you looked up and, you <laughs> well, know. <laughs> and, and this is also like something that people don't talk about. I'm a mom, first time mom at 31. So obviously I'm not a spring chicken. So for us to get pregnant was not super easy. Like, I don't know. Mm. You know, one, you're on birth control. That has to take a, for me, it took a year for that to even get out of my system. So Mm. it's like, oh, dang. So now we're at this point where, okay, we're married. We purchased a home. Now what's our next point? How do we want to grow together? So that was definitely a conversation. My husband always aspired to have, you know, like he said, my greatest goal in life is to be a father. Like that's just, he told me that as soon as we started dating, like, so if yes. it's up to him, I would have got pregnant years ago. <laughs> and you know, for me, just I'm sure just like all of you guys, you like, yeah, I want to have my ducks in a row. I want to do this. I'm in school, you know, getting my master's. Like I, I want to get everything going before I have kids. And so one, the struggle to get pregnant was like, to me, we didn't even know if we can biologically get pregnant because it seemed like it took so long of trying and uh, tracking with ovulation and stuff. So once we finally did get pregnant, this is like something that I share with people I'm very open about is we had a miscarriage, but like it was very sad. You go through grief and you're like, okay, well, at least we know now that we don't need intervention or fertility specialist to get pregnant. So it was kind of our like silver lining, like, okay, this is extremely tough, extremely hard, 
But once that happened, like, okay, cool. We don't need to see a specialist, <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> Just because it's like, look, I'm not young. My eggs ain't young. Like, of course, a lot of people in our generation, they're waiting until 30 to have kids and whatnot. But it's not as right. easy as getting pregnant, you know, um, you know, if you're younger, that's just biology. So yeah. that was a conversation. So then when we found out our pregnant, you know, finding that out post miscarriage, you're almost like walking on eggshells. So you yeah. don't even want to like be excited. Are you scared? So um, once that happened and my husband always say, T, like you took a pregnancy test without me being there because I was so nervous. I didn't even know if I wanted to tell him. So um, that's kind of how it happened. So this second pregnancy, we weren't trying and ended up pregnant. So it's just like trying and trying and nothing. Don't yeah. try and pregnant. Like, yeah. I don't know. Somebody makes sense of it for me. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that moms don't talk about enough because of the stigmatization behind it is miscarriages. And it's one of those things where so many women deal with them. So many women have that experience. And for some reason, it's seemed, or at least it comes off in society that that's something that can't be shared. It's like, deal with your deal with that grief on your own. Like all oh, that's super duper sad. No one wants to listen to your story. No one cares. Yeah, and it's like but, a point where you need support the most. And you you're do. so scared because it's taboo to come out and say anything. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And I'm and I'm hearing so many other women share their story. My mom even shares her story about her miscarriage, um, which is why me and my sisters all have a joy tattoo. My mom has a joy tattoo as well for my sister who passed away between Stephen and Sydney. So it's it happens to so many people. And it's amazing that we're consistently having the conversation because hopefully one day it becomes the norm that motherhood doesn't just start when you pop out a healthy baby. It starts even earlier than that. Thank you so much. So with all of the different spaces that you all are currently in right now as mothers, we got a newborn and we have a toddler and a preteen. I would love to know what tools are you all taking from how you were raised and implementing them into how you're going to raise your children. And then what are some things that you're like, my mom and dad did this and I am definitely not taking that into the next generation. For sure. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, one thing that I'm definitely taking is my love of faith. Um, I believe that that is super important. Um, and introducing your child two things. Um, and then as he has questions about who Jesus is and why we believe what we believe, being able to, being able to, um, explain that, um, is really important to me. So being open to questions, I really love the concept of not telling the child to stay in the child's place. What is it? So as long as you have questions, I will answer. Another thing that I'm super cognizant about, I learned about it, uh, when I was reading Beyonce's story is Tina Knowles put Solange in therapy, uh, apparently when she was little so that she could learn how to deal with the success that her sisters was going to essentially have. Now she wanted nothing yet. This is where she was headed. But she yeah. Was I remember so that. I adapted that and said, mm -hmm. I'm going to put Zion in therapy um, to talk about how he may feel and may not feel comfortable with talking to me about, um, being a child who doesn't have a present father. And so mm -hmm. that's something I am not a male. I do not have any brothers. 
I do not know that life and I'm not going to act like, and I think that's another thing that we want to break is the perpetration Mm -hmm. of acting or presenting something as I vow to be my most authentic self. And if I can't be vulnerable and I credit you, Britt, for talking about that in motherhood with your son, if I can't be authentic and vulnerable in that space, then what am I doing? So I said, you know, if you watch shows with your kids, you know that everything is presenting a family unit. And so there's mommy and daddy. And then they have questions like what, what is, you know, and my child is very smart. Yeah. And so you singing these songs and mommy finger, daddy finger, you watching all this stuff. And so one of the things that I said was I was going to um, I was reading something about blended families or whatever. And they were like, explain to your children how each each family is different. So point out like, oh, you see your cousin over here. He have the same, you know, kind of family unit that you have. Uh, or this person has two mommies or two dead, like using those opportunities to do that. But yes, I'm definitely taking my love of family mm-hmm. um, and my love of Christianity and I'm being more open to authenticity and being open to therapy and conversation with with my child. Yeah, to like piggyback on what Erica said, like definitely she hit the nail on the head for me, taking the whole faith and the love of God and allowing Noah to really come into that. Because I'm a firm believer that even if you grow up in a faith, it still comes a point when you hit like that teenage phase, switching into that adulthood phase that you have to decide for yourself where it's really you decide mentally and spiritually, I truly do believe this. I truly do follow this. So even though it's something that I'm raising him up in, I want him to have that strength in knowing that that's a point he arrived to on his own, Mm. as opposed to something that was forced on him. Now, I do take him and I love seeing that he's choosing God on his own because he has his own relationship. Like even when he was in the first grade, there was a little girl who had her best friend had got shot in the head, a little boy, and she was so sad in class and she was crying in class and Noah's instant reaction was to have a prayer circle for her at school. This is not a Christian school. It's a public school. They don't talk about God, but he was like, let's just pray for her. And she was crying in the prayer circle and she just felt better. Like if he, I do flags and banners. It's when you wave flags with different colors to kind of saturate the atmosphere with praise. Noah has taken to that on his own as well. He's not afraid to worship. He's not afraid to praise. He sings. And I love that. I love that. And I love that he can ask questions and we can have real talk. So when I want to talk in private, because there's people in the house, of course, we go on walks. So we walk and we talk. And another thing that I want to do for him that I didn't get was let him be vulnerable. Mm. I want to have, I've dated emotionally unavailable men. I've had emotionally unavailable men in my family. Black men especially have this stigma that they too have to be strong, that they cannot Mm. share those emotions. They can't express it. And it weighs them down. It builds up inside of them and it manifests into other damaging things that touch 
all aspects of their life. I want him to feel like he can say, well, I don't like that you do this. I don't like that you do that. There's a lot of Noah's very vocal, so he don't like a lot of things. (laughs) 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 But we work through it and I'm still a work in progress. Like I take the critiques because I also want to take into my parenting accountability. I felt like my parents didn't have a lot of accountability. So sometimes they may not like what I'm doing as a parent and I'll be like, hey, I don't like it either. I, I acknowledge that about myself and I'm working on it without, you know, needing them to bring it up. You know, it's if you're aware of yourself, then you should also be able to say this, that thing that I'm going through, this thing that I'm feeling, it's affecting my kid too. So how are we going to fix it? Because your child may not know how to navigate the waters of what you're feeling and how your parenting is coming across during this time. So I think another thing that Erica said that I totally agree with that I'm going to actually think about is therapy because we do have a lot of talks about his father and it does affect my son a whole lot, especially being older. Even though my dad is present, that's just a void I can't feel. And even though I have a great dad, my biological dad was not there. And that is something that I did have to deal with. So I know what he's feeling, but I can't fully comprehend because I'm not a male. So that's another aspect of it. Yes. And I love what you both said about kind of like getting your kids involved in therapy. And as a therapist, I do get this right, see like right. the other side of we that. We got the subject matter expert on yeah, the line. Yeah, no, we the subject so I definitely expert. see the other side of that. And I work with students. And even though no one has ever said this to them outside, they sometimes deal with um, feeling unworthy. Why would this person choose to not have me in their life? So they're kind of working through that. It definitely impacts self-esteem. It's like, I wasn't good enough for this person. So as a therapist, I'm constantly working with kids in that nature to build up their self-esteem. So if I can leave anything with you guys, it's just that confidence that be yourself. We love you for who you are. They're missing out on such a great person. And it was no fault to you. It's more so a fault on their own for not wanting to be in your life. So yeah, I I always like try to tell my students that like, look, it's okay. They're missing out on you. And when I think about my family and when I think about Bo, something that I want to implement that my family implemented was like positive affirmations. Like when we get up in the morning, I'm like, good morning, beautiful. Hey, how you doing? Like I'm just saying and talking positive things on her. Like so she can know you're beautiful, you're smart, you're well loved, you know, uh, just things that when they are kids, especially with the kids I'm seeing child with social media and all that everybody's self-esteem is in the trash like no confidence whatsoever so I'm like whatever I can do to help her build self-confidence here first at home so when people step to you in the street you know like I'm smart I'm beautiful I'm more than enough I measure up to my peers I exceed them I excel like so whatever we can do here is what we want to to instill that foundation. And then something that I don't want to do in terms of like parenting, how my parents did, just how I watched them interact with conflict. It was like, we not going to talk about it. We're going to fester on this. And then no one ever deals with anything. So it's always like this elephant in the room and you're like sitting there in attention. Like, is somebody going to be honest here? So what I want to do to combat that is like, whenever we have 
um, disagreements whenever we have things that we don't see eye to eye with, just be honest, open and willing to listen. Cause just the transition, I'm sure you all know, like from not having a kid to having a kid is a huge transition. Uh, the communication that it takes, even when you're co-parenting, even when you have other people like your village supporting you is so many different views. It's like, how can I um, be okay with compromise? How can I accept that sometimes mom instinct is mom instinct? How can I manage to be humble? How can I manage to just absorb some things where, look, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody else did it first. So we don't have unnecessary struggles. So it's just like trying to get everything going and flowing with that. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try. Well, I think it's so important that we have those difficult conversations because our generate the generations before us, baby boomers and Gen X, love the family secrets. What happened in this house? Stay in this house. Don't tell the people at church. Don't tell nobody at school what we do. And then it's never addressed and it trickles through. And then here we are, the next generation, trying to go, go to therapy, solve it, figure it out, because we know that those things need to be addressed for them to be for them to be rectified. So with that lens, you all, in my opinion, have a very difficult job, and that's being mothers to Black children in America. And I want to ask you all and take a moment as you all kind of think through this, what are some of your fears as being a mom to Black children in this country? I don't even have to think about it. I tell you, when I first found out I was pregnant, I ain't want no son. Oh, really? I did not. I did not want a son at wow. all. Um, the value of life. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that the value of black girls life is not as equally valued. But I don't know what it's like to walk down the street and somebody lock their car door. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to get on the elevator with somebody and they clinch their purse. Never yeah. had that happen to me. But I've had several cousins and several male friends who have encountered that. Yeah. I can stand here and say, thank God, when I've been stopped by a cop, it has not ended in something terrible. Unlike my dad's experience or my male cousin's experiences. I can tell you that I don't want my son. I don't care how good Morehouse is. He ain't going down south. Mm. Because I fear just the, the beauty of Amon Arbery taking a jog jogging. Yeah. And so I can say that now before my baby hit the earth, right? When I was yeah. just carrying him, the fear that I had. And so seeing the joy that he has and how he lights up everybody that is in his just like sphere and to know that somewhere, somehow somebody's going to try to break that. Somebody's going to try to say that he was a threat. And you look at them and it reminds me of that post last year when they were marching that said, when do I turn from innocent to a threat? Right. And so just the state of the world. What? What? Yes. No, not at all. Like, and something has to change. So when I pray for him, like, I feel like my grandma, I be interceding. <laughs> and it's not just him. It's those that. I'm connected to, right? We all, you know, whether I'm calling uh, Britt's baby by name or Taryn's baby by name, crying because you don't want to take a nap. Um, <laughs> but regardless, you know, it, it it scares me to no end. Like, yeah. still. 
Yeah, I can, as a mom of a boy, especially an 11-year-old, like that fear is very real, but mine is a little bit different because I, I, maybe I was too young and it was just a little bit different in 2010. It wasn't as in your face. Social media was still just taking off. So we didn't have all the video recordings of people going through these things. So it was still something that happened on occasion, but now with technology and everybody being aware that they can record, we see it all the time. So I, at first when he was born, I begged for a boy. I said, Oh no, no, no. I can't handle a girl. Not, I can't handle, can't handle a girl. Lord knew what I could take. Okay. That's why he gave me a boy. But that fear that Erica was talking about is so real. Like he's 11 preteen, right? This past weekend, not this weekend, but last Sunday was the first time Noah could go outside with his friends without me being outside. I had to be outside. We live in a great neighborhood. It's like, it's a mix. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody watch Noah grow up, but still it's just that fear. Mm -hmm. Like what if it's somebody who's not in the neighborhood? What if it's a visiting relative? You just never know. And you think about the Tamir Rices because my son loves him a Nerf gun. Okay. Mm -hmm. Loves him a Nerf gun. Kids, I'm in Virginia. We're below the Mason-Dixon line. So kids go hunting. Co-workers talk about how their kids have hunting licenses and, you know, their kids have taken shooting lessons. I can't even take my son loves guns because my dad was in the military and it's a Southern thing. He was born down mm. here, but he cannot own one. Don't even go outside with your BB gun. Like, no, you can't have you get this colorful, very obviously a toy Nerf gun and that's it. Like, but I also had to think about I am a woman of faith. And my prayers, my grandmother's prayers will do what I cannot do when he is not there. I can't restrict his quality of life because of the hatred in this world. I don't want him to live in that space. We do have those open conversations, but I don't want to operate in fear when raising him. And I don't want him to operate in fear when living his life because that will keep him from doing things. And that fear was really stifling. Now, granted, there are kids that he just cannot play with. Like, <laughs> I just don't like them. <laughs> like, I just, I cannot. But these kids that, you know, he was playing with, I am okay with that. When I said, hey, can you tell Noah something for me? One of the 15 times that I was peeking out the door trying to check on him, they did exactly what I said. And he listened to the message they relayed. So I felt comfortable. But thinking about him just being out in this world and somebody seeing my baby as this violent thing when he's like the sweetest, most caring person. Like, I think he might be an empath because even when he was a baby, if I was sad, he put his little hand on my back and just pat me and just rub. Like he can sense when people are going through things and he just wants to hug you and love on you. He will cry if he needs to without being ashamed or embarrassed. But, um, just to think about people seeing him as a threat, it just makes me so nervous. Like thinking about him yeah. being a teenager, because I don't want to restrict him and being able to have those fun experiences, because I feel like I was restricted. I want him to enjoy his teenage years. That's a good carefree right. time before you get into the real world. But to think about having to actually let go and allow him to do that and trust 
that the people out in the world are not going to harm my baby. Like, that's just the hardest part. That's a lot. That's a whole lot to just bear as a mom of a black child, especially a black son. Yeah. Now, Taryn, I know baby Bo is is fresh. Yeah. But I know as a mother, the thousand thoughts shot into your mind to be like, oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. So my biggest fear, this is a safe place, right? (laughs) It is. It is, girl. It is. My my biggest fear, Bo has a medical condition where she is on maintenance meds. And for Bo, like my biggest fear is having to advocate for her health in a system, a medical system that is disadvantages for Black people. Um, So that's one of my biggest fears that her concerns, medical concerns will not be taken um, as serious as some of her peers, her like white peers. And just things of like, I just want her, you know, you worry about like when I'm gone, like, will you be okay to advocate for yourself? Will you? And that's any kid. Will you be okay to stand on your two feet and tell, discuss your needs, tell them what you need, tell them, tell them how you want to be treated, tell them everything, any type of direction that you have. Like, will you be able to do that? Will research catch up to black people, medical conditions? Like, it's just a ton of questions that I have in my mind. It's just like, okay, will you be all right? in a system that doesn't really care about you. And I often talk about, and this really goes down to at the point that we were pregnant, being black moms and infant mortality rate, black mom mortality rate. It just shows me like in America from a perinatal state that they don't want black fetuses to live. So it's like, how can I send my kid out there in the world knowing that it's certain people out there that don't want her to exist. Every single one of you shared something so heart-wrenching that I know so many other mothers can relate to in this country, having little boys or little girls. It's frustrating to hear each and every one of you all share your stories about the additional protection you have to have that other mothers don't have to. Other mothers are afforded the privilege to not have to think of their children in a way that every single one of you all have to about will they be able to advocate for themselves? Will they be able to just have joy as a child? Do I stifle their joy in hopes that they'll see 18? And and if I do that, because I am so concerned about their survival rate, am I letting them down as a mom because I'm not showing them how to navigate difficult conversations, how to go and date other people, how to live through their joys and aspirations, how to fail, how to fail appropriately. Because your mindset is on my child needs to survive. And that is a that has that is a troubling thing to think about. That is an additional layer to your parenting style that frankly other parents just don't have to think about. It is I have to just say having this conversation with the three of you all is really, and I hope for everyone else listening, opening up the eyes of black motherhood, because you all have so much more to think about, to think through and to, and to process because you have black children in this country. 
Yeah, it is definitely a difficult thing, especially with what Taryn is talking about. I really don't talk about it now that I think about it. If it comes up, it comes up. But Noah has a condition as well. Um, Noah's condition is a liver condition. It's called biliary artresia. It's found the same way as jaundice. So it's something he deals with for his whole life. And I remember, you know, from birth to now, even in the birthing stage, I have yet to hear a black mom birthing experience where she was not listened to by the nurses or the doctors or where she felt like she wasn't heard or where she felt like symptoms or things she was dealing with wasn't minimized. I just haven't heard it. So when you go into the baby is here and you have these well-educated doctors with their degrees from all these places and you tell them, I don't agree with what you're saying because I just have a sense as a mother, it's dismissed. Whereas someone of another race, I have literally seen their concerns. Well, let me investigate more. Let me see what else is going on. Why is it that her concerns are met with quick action and investigation and sensitivity, whereas mine are brushed off as if I couldn't know what I'm talking about because I'm young, because I'm Black, and because this is my first child. Because when it was time for me to push Noah out, and I felt it. I, I never had a baby before, obviously, but I just felt it was time. She didn't even check. She told me, no, you're fine. Literally, I couldn't take it. I pushed the button and she came back five minutes later. I said, either I'm going to push without you or you're going to help me and we're going to get this the ball rolling. She said, OK, OK, well, let me check. She looked. Oh, I see the head. Girl, it is, so my vagina. <laughs> it is my vagina. It is my vagina. I would so know. Exactly. I was so upset, like so upset. <laughs> and so I, of course I had him and it was fine. But because of that experience, you know how when you have a child, you're able to have the baby go into the nursery at times. I fell asleep for all of four hours. The rest of the time I had him. His circumcision in those four hours were the only time he was out of my sight. I had him the whole time because at this point, I don't trust you. And when he had um, in the beginning months, because we found out when he was a month that there was an issue in his blood work. And then he had to have like two days, three days before Thanksgiving, his first Thanksgiving. He's a month and a half. He had to have a biopsy, a surgical procedure. And then two weeks after that, he had three procedures in one and we were in the hospital for a whole week. Mm -hmm. Um, So during that process, my son's veins, they're not just straight like everyone else. They're crooked and hidden. So they're taking his blood like every hour on the hour. My little infant is getting stuck. They're having trouble finding his veins. I had to, at one point, just say, stop. Go get the head nurse that's on call in this whole children's hospital and she can do it since everybody is having an issue. And that's literally how it had to be because nobody could properly find his veins. And so they kept sticking my child. It's just as a mom, it's hard because you think about, is your like Taryn said, is your kid going to be able to convey their needs? Are they even going to be heard? Because it's not just in life, but it's even in the medical field where you're supposed to be cared for and tend to that you struggle with your child being seen 
as less than a child with a different complexion, a non-Black child. I do have a question now that we are in the space of talking about pushing the baby out. There is like segments of social media, like on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, where there are millennial moms that have been so open and so expressive about their motherhood journey to a point that I didn't know there were so many things that you just like physically went through as a mother. Like I listened to some, another mother's story talked about after she gave birth, her teeth fell out. Like her teeth fell out. Her teeth have just never had, had, they're gone. Like her teeth fell out, gone. Another woman talked about like temporary blindness ever since she gave birth to her child. And I'm sitting here like, is that normal? And apparently it is. In my opinion, I think before millennials and social media became a boom and a thing, motherhood was very much so flowers and unicorns and rainbows and gumdrops and just the the gender reveal and the and the baby shower. And it's so pretty and you have a glow and girl. I think that could be further from the truth because y'all look miserable. I'm I'm assuming you all are about to share your miserable stories, but I would love for you all to kind of give the real experience of before the baby came, because I think we don't do a good job or we're doing a disservice to mothers who think they want to be mothers because they really don't know what it is. Like we see all these, these flowery, Instagram pages and all these like cutesy wootsy photo shoots that they do with their kids. But if you rip me from the rooter to the tutor, that is the last child I'm pushing out. Uh, <laughs> your mental health. Ooh, that mm. is the biggest. Okay. Orange shoes. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, your I, mental health? It is, yeah, my, my mental health. It is no, um, Secret. I think anybody who is a close friend of mine or just follows on social media. Um, I remember when I announced I was pregnant and people were like, oh, okay. And it was just me in the picture. And they were like, we, Erica? Wait, who? By who? Jesus? Um, but <laughs> but um, I think that's the biggest thing is it was not, a, you know, just quite frankly, it wasn't, we weren't together or anything like that. It just happened. And so um, I went through, like, I didn't enjoy any of my pregnancy just because of the mental toll. And I couldn't articulate it. I just felt like everybody around me should understand that this is not how I envisioned pregnancy. This is how I, I did not envision motherhood. I lost a friend that I had had since I was in seventh grade because she told me that I was being dramatic. And I'm just like, until you are sitting where I'm sitting, I'm sitting here. I was working on the West side. I'm like, I'm sitting in traffic every day. I was at that time. I was a Dean of students and I was like, and I was arguing with his, for the sake of him being here, I'm a spell D A D D Y about just being there. And so for his own reasons, he couldn't do and still can't other than financially what needs to be done. And so the mental health, and I think that now we are having um, conversations like this and thank you for this space. Um, 
but I feel like now it's really that conversation of you have to do what's best for you. And when you find out that you're bringing a gift, gift, okay, hold on. When you find out that you are in a position to bring something like a human into this world, you have to really evaluate, am I in the best space for what I'm about to go through hormonally or anything like that? It is not, as you said, it is not a flower wall. It is not a baby shower with a fashion over dress. It is not, it is <laughs> not that. It is tears. And this is before my child even got to this earth. It is tears. It is Lord for real. It is trying to make sense of your own worth. Your own worth. And you sitting here like, no, I'm choosing this. I know it's going to work out in the end. I know it's going to do this. I know it's going to do that. But that mental capacity and then not having the energy to verbalize the feelings of up and down. And that's what any mama, right? That's a mama that's being supported. That's married. That's going through a range of emotions. That's a mama with a strong village. That's whoever. You still going through all these changes, whether you plan for that baby or not. And so I think that the mental capacity is a conversation that needs to start happening more because, I mean, as Terrence spoke on earlier, like a lot of, I thank God that I'm in a position to provide for Zion and I, but I know that there are people married that don't, don't have that opportunity. Like we just moved out last March before because I had him at 37 weeks. So yeah, it, it was that, just that mental. Oh yeah. I wanted to kind of piggyback off. Like for me, my pregnancy was just peaceful, blissful, all that stuff. But the aftermath, that postpartum, the, you feel ugly, you're still kind of fat, still look pregnant. Your shoes don't fit. Uh, I, I just put my wedding ring on last week because that did not fit for since 36 weeks. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So like your hormones do this crazy thing. You'll have the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. I remember one time the baby was here and it makes you feel really awkward because you're like, I have a ton of things to appreciate. I have a ton of things to be grateful for, but the happiness does not come. So one time me and my husband were at the grocery store and I'm sitting there, he's scanning grocery. My eyes are watery. At this point, I'm probably like one month postpartum. And I said, I just want to be happy. Like I don't feel like myself and it's just rocky. And even now, three months postpartum, you still are dealing with the some body images. And I keep telling myself, give yourself grace. But it's still there because you're not who you used to be, not what you look used to look like. And even when I was pregnant, I used to be like, who boobs are these? All my life, I had a B cup. You know, I went to a double <laughs> D. I'm like, oh my God, like somebody got boobs. Like, who is this? Who is this person? So it's just like trying to uh, recover physically, which is difficult. I had a C-section, so that's hard. And then if you want to really get into it, they prescribe you opiates. If you're in a position where you're predisposed to addiction, you got to think twice, like, do I want to take this medication? Do I? Very good point. You know, Very it's good point. something definitely to worry about. So you have that physical recovery, the emotional recovery and mental recovery, which as we grow as moms trying to find out our new lane, 
carve out space for ourselves. And I remember being pregnant. I'm like, when the baby comes, I do not want my world to revolve around the baby. Baby here, world revolves around the baby. <laughs> but I am being like conscious of that. And I'm seeking out things to do myself. So something simple that I thought I would love to get into is photography. So, all right, I'm going to sign up for an eight-week photography class. That's something that has nothing to do with the baby, which the baby will benefit from because I'm going to be taking pictures of her. But, you know, <laughs> never mind that. <laughs> but it's, it's, I wish someone would have told me about that. Nobody mentioned the postpartum bleeding. Um, yeah, you have like what is a period for six weeks after mm. almost sometimes eight, nine weeks after. You can't use tampons because it's like um what do they call like body, like body membranes and stuff like that that's shedding. So you don't want to put that back in yourself. Yeah, so they could have warned us about that. Child, I'm putting these braids in my hair, but y'all could have warned me about these postpartum edges being thin. Oh, um, really? I did hear the the hair that the falls out. Shedding is terrible, and my postpartum shedding didn't start till this month. So I'm like, okay. I was thinking, oh, good, good. It won't get me, and then it happened to me. I'm just like, oh, no. Okay. And oh yeah, and then Erica just said breastfeeding is hard. They could have did that. So if I did not have a lactation consult, I had a lactation consultant talk to me for two hours when Bo was two days old. If that lady hadn't come, who knows what it would have happened. And then we went to weekly lactation classes. It's Even though it's something so natural, it's not innate. Like we just automatically don't know the perfect way. So y'all could have warned us on that. But I'm team, however the baby get fed, however the baby get fed. So mm-hmm. whatever that y'all got to do, make sure baby thrive, grow, live. That's what I I'm taking that emotion. Thank you. <laughs> now, that's a very real thing. Erica said three days. I made it three weeks. Like that was it. That was, and I had a lactation consultant. Like, didn't matter. Like, every time Noah got checked out, the lactation consultant would come for his appointment to come talk to me. No problem with my milk production. But that you don't talk about with breastfeeding. I don't know if it's boys or what, but it hurts with boys. And you have to make sure that your nipple is far enough in their mouth that stops the hurt. It didn't matter how far it went. I could have choked them with it and it still wouldn't have made it stop hurting. (laughs) It would not have made it stop hurting. And he was a hungry, hungry baby. So... He always wanted to eat. My nipples never got a break. They don't talk about your nipples get chapped like your lips. Uh, so you have to put cream on it. it. Yep. Yep. They give you cream to put on it because you have to, just like you do your lips, you have to put cream on it, keep it moisturized. Vaseline works too as well if you run out of this special stuff. But girl, the breastfeeding thing, it's insane. I w- was weaning him off. Like it was still a month after him getting off. I got out the shower, dry completely off. It's pitch black in the room because he's asleep. And all of a sudden, in the dark, I see white stuff all down my body. It was breast milk. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it looked like it looked this baby TMI. I don't care. It looked like I took a shower of milk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. (laughs) I was dry. I just knew I dried completely off. And then I 
turned the light on. It was just milk everywhere. I said, I didn't even feel it coming out. <laughs> Breast oh pumps are terrible. If you, depending on which kind you have, spend, if you're a mom to be listening to this, spend the extra money on the good quality breast pumps. The cheaper ones hurt worse than the ones of good quality. You can use your insurance, ask your health insurance, as someone who works for health insurance, ask your health insurance. They will give you one for free. You can go on the websites, special websites. It's technically considered DME, durable medical equipment. You can get this. If you're going to breastfeed, you need that breast pump so you can store that milk so that you give your boobs a break. Your boobs are going to need a break. If you're constantly feeding them from the best breast, which you love that mommy time, you need that break. They also don't talk about when you're, <laughs> I love my friend. I'm not going to say who it is. If she listens to this podcast, she's going to know exactly who she is. I call her baby a baby terrorist. <laughs> I love my baby. That is my baby. But the ownership he had over her boobs while she was breastfeeding was the most serious thing I had ever seen. When he wanted it, he had to have it. He would fight anybody like, give me your boob. These are mine. And the way his face would light up just to breathe in the air, he would suffocate (laughs) himself (laughs) in her boobs because he loved it. They don't talk about the attachment your kid has to your boobs when you breastfeed. It's their home. It's their place of comfort outside of the womb. But that's a real, it takes a mental toll on a mommy to always have someone attached to you, especially if you like to be by yourself or that alone time, because this little person who depends on you, they always want to be next to you, on you, in your boob. That plays into that mental toll that Erica was talking about as well. Um, another thing like Sharon touched on, Sharon, <laughs> Sharon touched on <laughs> was the shedding. You do shed, like you combing out your hair and it's just clumps coming out in the comb. That is, I've heard that more than anything. The bleeding after, the tam- the tampons you cannot use, you have to use these extra mega pads. Like I've never seen pads like these in my life. They're not your regular Baxi pads. These are heavy duty. I, I was a young mom, but I'm a prepared person. Okay. I like to be prepared. So at five months, I had my whole list of what ifs and I gave it to my doctor. I don't even think he was expecting it. I thought he thought I was just going to be frivolous and go with whatever. No, this is my birthing plan. So birthing plan. Yes. We're about to get TMI again because, you know, I have a smaller, you know, area down there and I was afraid that it wasn't going to stretch enough. I have full faith in this body of mine. But when I heard the stories about ripping that you talked about, that is, I said, that is not going to be my story. So if you got to cut a little to prevent that. So I got a little cut and I just told him, give me an extra stitch. I was like, brand new. (laughs) <laughs> it's like high school all over again. Had a fresh start. You got me. <laughs> so I, got a fresh, I love it. I, love I it was. So. It was I brand new. Okay, I was up there like Madonna, child, like a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> but that recovery process, I don't think I've ever told anybody this story. Like the girl, Felicia, came to see me. Um, the day I got out of the hospital because she was at Howard, so that was a little four-hour drive. She came to see me and the baby. We just talk, and mind you, I got my stitches, right? Okay, so we're talking and everything, and 
you know we some clowns. You know our friend group, we some clowns. So we just clowning, clowning. And I'm just laughing so hard. And I'm like, Kanisha, Kanisha, you got to stop. I'm about to bust a stitch. You got to stop. <laughs> so oh, no. I was laughing so hard. You don't even think about when you're laughing the stuff you can't do. <laughs> so we're laughing so hard. And the she's laughing like, hurts. Yes, it hurt. It hurt so bad. So I laid back on the bed and I'm just holding myself like, stop making me laugh. And she's laughing harder. So I'm laughing harder. I thought I was going to die, child. <laughs> I thought I was just going to bust, but I didn't. But that was hilarious. They don't talk about that either. Needing stitches or going to the bathroom after. Ooh, the holding of the pee, child. Oh, no. Can't, can't do it to can't this do way. It. I have to go. When I got to go, I got to go. I can't hold nothing in. I'd be like, huh. Y'all know like Jada oh. Pinkett was in Girl's Trip when she was going across and she couldn't hold it. Yes, that's that that is me. I when I have to go, I have I have to go. Definitely same. It is no joke. Yeah, once I was breastfeeding and I he didn't he never fully latched. But baby, I got this lump right here and it hurt. <laughs> It hurt. Was it the mastitis? I, I don't know what it was called. It was called Eric and I breastfeeding again. That's what I call it. It can milk can form in your underarms. Yes. I yeah. recently heard about it, that. It, it, y'all, when I say it hurts, I was like, oh, okay. Did you oh. squeeze it? No, I tried. I couldn't even barely lift my arm to touch mm. it. It was, I was in such pain. And I was like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. Yeah, this is definitely the part of pregnancy that they do not tell people. Mm -hmm. And I think if they were, I think if people were so much more open about sharing those before motherhood stories, those postpartum stories, and even like what happens to your body years down the road, I think people would be able to have a better understanding of if they want to enter into motherhood in this particular type of way. For sure. If you guys have heard of this, uh, to me, this is a new thing I've heard, but moms are now doing a no touch day, meaning like the baby is minimal touch for one day a week. So if you're breastfeeding and it's pumping exclusively, dad feeds or someone else feeds, it's like you can touch the baby if you want to, but it's just giving you back that autonomy over your body to choose when and like why you're being touched. So it's like a term, like a new new thing. But uh, also, on the other hand, some people might have experienced mom guilt of that. Like, am I neglecting my baby now that I want some time to myself? No. Which I hope the answer is no, because like you said, first of all, you're going to have this little person for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. It does not end after 18. <laughs> and I've heard about the fact that the moment you become pregnant, your body isn't even yours anymore. Even when you have the belly, people are walking up to you and touching you and grabbing on you. And like the moment someone realizes that you are now a host to a, up to another thing growing inside of you, it's like, screw you. Like, I don't care about your body autonomy. I don't care about your boobs. I don't care to ask you if I can come and touch the belly. You are a host and you are growing a thing inside of you. And we only care about that thing which is horrible in my opinion. Please also, ask women, look, please ask women for consent before you touch them. Also, nobody told me what going in labor felt like. I had no idea I was in labor. So um, funny story, uh, the morning, 
that uh, it was like my what it was like my water broke. Um, I told my mama she was getting ready to go to work. I said, I think my water broke. So she drove me to rush. Um, and so uh, the nurses were filling. They were like, well, your, your water didn't break, but technically we filling up in there. So, you know, it might, it could come anytime now, like as soon as you get to the parking lot. Well, I never understood why they didn't just keep me and dismiss me. But anyway, I'll never go back there, but I want to use this to bash the hospital. But... <laughs> But I ended up going to my grandma's. My mom went to work. I went to my grandmother's. And that was about 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. By 3 p.m., I started, like, I got so hot. I had to get out of all my clothes. And I'm like, what is it? Now, mind you, I used to have really bad cramps. So it felt like I was just having really, a really bad case of cramps. And I remember trying to go to the bathroom again, might be TMI, but this is about what they don't tell you. And I could not take, I could not boo for nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> I still didn't know that I was in labor. And I'm just like, something is stuck. I'm like, why can't I? And so then my grandma. My grandma came in the room and she said me ain't had no clothes on. She like, are you okay? And so I was like, no, grandma, I'm like, I'm hot. I can't use the bathroom. Oh no. She was like, girl, you in labor. Uh uh. She like, I'm gonna call your mama, and we about to we about to take you. Um, and again, nobody, everybody had these stories about what it's like once you get to the hospital. But, like, to know that, like, cramp, like, how would you describe knowing that you're in labor like this big, bad cramp that won't stop? And I'm just like, why nobody say that part? Why is it always understanding, like, moms that's listening, pregnant, soon to be or whatever, if you can have that extra support, um, if you don't have that in the mate or your village has to work. Um, then consider getting that person because she's there for you. Mm -hmm. So consider getting that person that will be able to be like, oh, mom, get your rest. She right here. He right here. We rocking him. We rocking and rolling. So yeah, that's, that's what I would definitely say do to. You all are definitely dropping some tips and some amazing things for mommies to be or new moms or just mothers who've been in the game for a little bit and just need a refresher course can really take from. So thank you so much because I think we do a lot of romanticizing of motherhood um, and we show all the good parts. And I think that's just like, first of all, I think it's a campaign to have more women have more children because if we really knew what it entailed from the jump, that's its own for form of birth control in my opinion. Cause the more and more I hear you all stories, I'm like, <sighs> adoption, maybe. I don't know if I want to push one out because y'all are, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm. that decision. I support <laughs> that decision. Absolutely. And you're a I think now, like, I view myself as, like, a, a, a world champion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, I carried somebody for real. I would love for you all to kind of share with me those highlights that you all have come across so far being moms because there are amazing moments to motherhood specifically and I think this is super important black motherhood I'll go first Ooh, if B will let me but I always laugh and say like God made babies 
extremely cute and smell so good when they first come out the womb because they cry. And you're like, girl, if you wasn't cute, I don't know what I'll do. But because you're so cute and you smell so good, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take you home. <laughs> but they are so sweet. And I think some of my highlighting moments is when the baby smiles. You're like, oh, hey. And then they smile back. You're like, oh, dang. Well, oh, you do like me a little bit. And your little one has the cutest smile for her to be so small. I'm just like her facial features and how she's recognizing things around her. She's super bright because it's coming in so quick. Yes, I will say that she is such a happy baby. And I didn't notice Taz around other babies. I'm like, oh, she really be like in the mix, like nosy and looking, observing. And like, I, you know, with other babies and they're like just chilling, but she's not. She's like, all right, what are we talking about today? (laughs) <laughs> she's super in the know and super busybody, just like her mom. Her mom is just as happy. Her mom always finds the silver lining and everything. Her mom always got something happy to say. Okay, I never like I. Gas me. <laughs> I've never seen Taryn have a bad day. Like Taryn be sad about something for five minutes and then move on. <laughs> you know what? That's my coping skill. I'm like, you know what? I can let it ruin it for the rest of the day. Or I can just like, you know what? Whatever. (laughs) Move on. I think for Zion, his manners, people always, they always say they're like, okay, he's very nice, very nice little boy. He says, please and thank you. I'm really big on that. Um, He is very smart. Like, it was to the point where my grandmother was like, you need to get him tested to get into a gifted program. Because mm-hmm. I said, okay, gifted. Um, but uh, and he's super like keen and he can pick up on something like that. And so just to really pick up on the giftings that God has given to him with and watching him and being okay. go ahead, get your Legos. And watching him, it really just shows me that like God blesses us with these gifts from Mama, birth. You don't want to be quiet? Okay, he doesn't. As I just said, he was memorable. He tells me he doesn't want to be quiet. Um, but yeah, just watching him, just getting a front row seat, and I, and that's why I thank God for the pandemic because it slowed us down to pay attention to whether it was ourselves or our families that we needed to pay attention to. It allowed me not to miss his first steps. It allowed me not to miss when he um, talked. Okay, you want to see the phone. All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, it allowed me all these things. So, like, when he gets these awards, hold on, I'm talking. When he gets these awards from school for, like, academic achievement at in a two-year-old class, I'm like, well, what does he know? It's such an academic achievement. And it's just, the, okay, one second. Let me stop talking because he's ready for me to because he wants my phone. Okay. But yeah, like you talked about the highlights. And for me, it's hard to pinpoint because there's so many highlights, even with Taryn and Erica's phases. There were highlights in those for me when he was little. He was such a happy baby. He was so cute and little. I was just recently looking at his old pictures and it's so mind blowing. People don't talk about like those moments you have when you're like looking back, wow, 
I remember when you were this little person. I remember the moment I first saw you. He had his first smile within his first 10 minutes of life. He, yeah, he had his first smile and he opened his eyes for a second. He just smiled and I was just like, I was done for. I cried. <laughs> I was that mom. I cried and then I passed out immediately after. <laughs> no, ter- I'm ser- so serious because they don't tell you you have to give birth twice. That's another thing we didn't talk about. Yeah, you push the baby out, but you also have to push the placenta out just like you push the baby. When I tell you I laid there and I said, you can push it out yourself with your hands, push it out. <laughs> So the nurse is pushing down, trying to get the blizzard out with my stuff because I say I'm not pushing another thing. <laughs> but you remember those moments from when they're little, the first time they say their words. Noah has such a big vocabulary. He had this extensive vocabulary. And you know how everybody nowadays, they say, this child been here before. Yep. When you meet Noah, you understand how true those words are. He's really intuitive. He pays attention to things. Some of the things you say, you're just like, what? I remember one day when he was six, six, y'all, we're sitting at the, he was sitting at the table and I was moving, being a busybody around the table. And he just, I really feel like I need a wife and two kids. blue not one but two kids <laughs> I said no what he just I just really feel like I need a wife and two kids he meant it he said it twice and I said well why and he just said so I could take care of them and I can be a dad I'm like you're six so me I just went into panic mode because I'm 26 <laughs> at this point I'm like you know it's okay to live your life go travel see the world <laughs> That's how fatherhood so young exactly so he's six and i'm telling him to travel and see the world and go to school (laughs) that was an accelerated conversation you're like i didn't plan on talking about this till you at least like with noah those conversations were normal he was five and i didn't have a boyfriend at the time and you know like I think it was Erica was talking about how all the imagery out there is mom and dad, mom and dad, marriage. That's, you know, the family dynamic. So he was just like, so mom, when are you going to get married? At five. And I was like, well, I don't know when I meet a guy and he's like, okay. And so what do you need to meet him? And I was like, well, he has to be the right guy. He has to, you know, embody the characteristics that I like. I don't, if you're a new, if you're a new mom, don't minimize your words. Use the big words. I promise you they will understand and pick up on the context. That's how you build that vocabulary. Don't minimize your child, what you think your child can take in. They can take in so much more. They can take in whatever you give to them. So I use those big words. We had those real talks. So at five, we me and Noah were having this conversation while he's leaning over his toddler bed, standing on his bed so he could see me eye to eye because he's so tiny. But, and (laughs) he's just like, okay, so what kind of guy do you like? And so I list off all these characteristics and he was like, okay, well, we'll work on that together. (laughs) Not with him. Girl, even at seven, you know how the dating apps have commercials? I could... I heard the TV on down the hall and I don't know. I just had like my mommy instincts. So it was an eHarmony commercial. Oh no. As soon as it went off, I hear pit a pat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, mom, 
do you know you can find a man online? I said, uh, yeah. I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He was like, you know, have you heard of eHarmony? They can find, they said they can find everything you like. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. So I took that as, mommy, you need to start dating. <laughs> he was not playing no games. But he's always got the jokes. Like, his new thing right now is magic tricks. So we had two of those last night. Like, it's just the funny moments. He cracks those jokes and he's always just like this light, you know, and people really don't talk about how much of a light their kids are. They will get on your nerves. They will Mm -hmm. chalk it up to the game. There isn't a person on this planet who won't get on your nerves. But this little person that's yours is like a love you will never experience anywhere else. Like, not with your husband, not with your mom and dad. This love is totally different and it's special. And the way they look at you, it's like they see you. And you're talking about these, Erica and Taryn are talking about these beautiful characteristics. That's Those are you. Your children are an extension of you. So all these beautiful things that you see in your kids, they got it from you, honest, without you having to teach them. Like I prayed over my baby. You speak affirmations over your baby. They become everything that you want them to be. Now, don't be like me. I told him I wanted to be just like me and God played me and he made him just like just me. Just like you. You got to be very right. so, particular about your word choices, girl. God be really listening. Do. He really listens. So he got the attitude too. But you know, specific in your prayers, be specific. <laughs> exactly, Terry. Prayers, right? New mommies, alert, alert. That was your PSA. <laughs> but yeah, those are the highlights, and they don't stop coming. You get more. You take joy in the little things. Don't take those for granted. You got that photography class was okay. That was something spiritual right there because God was like, "We got to capture it all." <laughs> It goes so quick and even like we'll get something. He like, T, you take so many photos. I'm like, dude, we don't know if we're gonna have another kid or not, but she's never gonna be as young as she is today. And I want to like look back on it and say, Oh yeah. And I also get my pictures printed in this little book. So my pictures don't live on the phone because in 30 years, I want us all to be laughing around the Christmas tree and we looking at photos and we laughing. I'm like, yeah, you see me, girl? I was the bait. I was fine. Like, come on now. True. You know, I need the proof for myself. <laughs> that is true. Well, ladies, this has been a fantastic conversation about black modern motherhood you all have shared the fears the joys the highlights the shadow sides and even put me on game and everybody else who is a mommy to be on game on what motherhood really looks like when we remove the romanticizing of it and just really got to the real i appreciate you all's perspectives you all sharing your stories being vulnerable opening up because I promise you, you all being able to hold space with me and share your stories are going to impact another black mom out there that probably wishes she had something like this to listen to. I'm sure you all wish you all had conversations like this before you became mom. So we are doing our due diligence for the next set of black women out there to make sure that they are prepared. They know that they too have a tribe and it takes a village to get this baby to 
18 plus successful Mm -hmm. down the road and we all going to do it together. Every single one of you all's children is a part of my life and I am a part of your village. (laughs) Hello. I am a part of all of you all's village. Thank you for having us, Yes. Uh, Love it here. And I'm so proud of you. Oh. I know. I'm proud of all of y'all. Yes. I know. Y'all some bad bitties. Back from 2000. What we get in some yes. little child? 2004. 2004. Don't oh, add 2004. That was like decades.